to another edition of Spotlight on Natural Resources. I'm Bill Wasner. With me again is Dwayne Friend. Welcome, Dwayne. Uh, thank you for letting me be on today. <laughs> yeah, well, the last time was the first time in a long time that we had somebody other than just you and I. Um, so, yeah, a little. Uh, do you feel slighted in some way for... Uh, no, I'm I'm glad that uh, we're getting others involved in the podcast. Hopefully, oh, we'll oh, get more, more listeners out there. Very good. Well, and it's a special edition, really, because we need uh, to talk about uh, something that is going to be of concern in the near future, and that is severe weather in Illinois. And so, why why start talking about it so early here in the middle of February? Well, that's an excellent question, Bill. Um, one of the things that, that probably everybody who's lived in the state has seen is we really can have severe weather any time of year. We've had tornadoes in every single month of the year, and probably folks remember not that long ago we had the uh, tornadoes that occurred in uh, central Illinois in November. We've had tornadoes that occurred not that long ago on New Year's Eve in the state, and I personally can remember one of the uh, closest uh, encounters I've had with tornadoes was when I was uh, a much younger person, and that occurred right about this time of year. So really, it can happen any time of the year. But the majority of thunderstorms and tornado outbreaks start ramping up in March, and really April, May, and June are the top three months with May being by far the the most numerous month in terms of, of tornadoes and thunderstorms. So because of that, the National Weather Service uh, lets each state kind of uh, decide when they want to do some of their uh, outreach events. And, and one of the things that they're promoting here within the next week or so is Severe Weather Preparedness Week, which runs from February 28th through March 5th, so that first week of March. I I didn't know that it varied by state, but it just makes sense because the wind to expect severe weather would vary by state. Yeah, if you look at uh, places like Texas, Oklahoma, they're really going to start having their severe outbreaks uh, ramp up significantly here within probably the, the month of March. And, and really, they see most of their stuff uh, in March, April, and May, while the farther north you go, a little bit later in the the spring and summer it occurs. Yeah, it makes sense. So what should people do to start preparing for the severe weather that's likely to come in inside of a month? Well, hopefully everybody is aware of of what can happen with a severe thunderstorm or severe weather in general. You can talk about uh, wind, and that could either be straight line wind from a gust front, which could uh, be up to 60, 70, 80 miles an hour in extreme cases. Uh, you've got the potential for tornadoes, which uh, luckily the majority of tornadoes that occur are in the uh, uh, weaker range. So talking about things like EF0, EF1 categories, which would range from about 65 miles an hour up to maybe about 100 to 110 miles an hour, which could still cause significant damage but nothing compared to the type of tornado that Joplin saw a few years ago, which was well over 260 miles an hour. Uh, you could also, in terms of, of things that could happen with a, a storm, we could talk about hail, you have lightning, uh, and 
with extreme precipitation, we could talk about flash flooding. So there's a number of different things that people need to, to consider when you're talking about severe weather preparedness. But some of the basic things uh, that people should do, and a lot of these are just common sense things. You know, if you live in an area that seems to have power outages fairly often, you want to make sure that you have uh, batteries and flashlights available. One of the things that probably a lot of people don't don't think about but would be a good idea to do is to make sure they've got the uh, phone number for their, their electrical company on their cell phone so that if there is a power outage, they can automatically call them and let them know that they're having a power outage there. Good idea. Um, and then you know, some of the other things that really go in line with just about any type of disaster, if, if it's something where you think you may not – be able to uh, to get away from a particular area very soon, you know, having water on hand, uh, extra food and those type of things. Now, as far as, as being prepared for the storm itself, uh, one of the big things, and, and there's been quite a bit of research here in the last few years that has, has really shown this, and, and I think we're all guilty of it, we wait until the last minute to take shelter. Whenever there is a tornado nearby or a severe storm close by, a lot of people want to see it with their own eyes before they, they act on it. And we've seen time and time again that, that when that happens, a lot of times it's too late. We don't have time to seek shelter under those conditions. So, again, it's, it's just part of human nature, but we really need to, to think about when we hear those tornado sirens go off or we see that that tornado warning come on the TV, we need to take shelter right then. We, we shouldn't wait and say, well, I'm going to wait until I see it, because by that point, a lot of times it's going to be too late. Right. So we've covered some of the things that you do to prepare. What happens once the uh, weather event has already taken place? Are there safety tips for them to? Well, uh, again, a lot of those things are probably common sense things. Uh, for down power lines, and again, I think a lot of people have heard of this before, but you, you don't want to go outside when there's down power lines. Even though it may not look like they're live, you don't want to take the chance. Uh, if there's more likely going to be wet ground around there, that electricity can be conducted through the ground for a long distance. So even if you're not in direct contact with those lines, you don't want to get anywhere close to them. Um, there could be other things going on in terms of flash flooding. And flash flooding, just like the name implies, if you're driving in a, a low-lying area that has the potential for flash flooding, you don't want to drive in those areas. It doesn't take very deep water, if that water's flowing fast, to knock a car off the road. In fact, two feet of water moving at about 20 miles an hour will knock a car off the road. So a lot of times people may think, well, it's not very deep. I can get through it. But if that water's flowing fast, it doesn't matter whether it's that deep or not. It'll still move that car off the road. And then uh, then you're in a, a world of trouble after that. So a lot of it is common sense things to, to think about after that storm has passed through. So where should we go for more information? Uh, there's a couple of good sites to look at. Uh, U of I Extension has a really good website that uh, goes along with uh, disaster preparedness in general. And to get to that, the easiest way to do that is to look at a um, – uh, just do a Google search for Extension Natural – I'm sorry, Extension Disaster Resources. 
And then uh, looking on a, a little bit larger scale, the uh, ready.gov website that uh, the federal government puts out has a lot of good information on disaster preparedness and specifics on severe weather preparedness. All good advice. For another edition of Spotlight on Natural Resources, this has been Dwayne Friend and Bill Wastner. <laughs>